Um, this morning, we're starting a new Sunday series. Uh, the Anglicans have called the National Week of Prayer, Thy Kingdom Come. And this series is Your Kingdom Come, because we're just so with it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, there we go. The previous series that we had was also about the kingdom of God. And over four weeks, we looked at, you may remember some of these uh, aspects, windows onto the kingdom of God, of creation, of covenant, of community, and of the Christ who was promised. In the coming weeks, we're going to continue to look at the kingdom of God and ask what it looks like today. What does this thing, the kingdom of God, mean, and what does it look like today? My title for this morning is these words, shelters and streams, and I'm going to explain that in the next few minutes. Shelters, there's a little tent there, and streams. Actually, the story this morning begins way, way back. It begins in the late Bronze Age with a large tribe of people called the Habiru uh, who were in Egypt, actually the descendants of this Joseph and his brothers that I just mentioned. The Habiru, that's how they're known in the archaeological record. We know them as Hebrews who were in Egypt. They, this large tribe were to become a nation of 12 tribes. But before they became a nation, these Hebrews... They spent a generation as desert nomads, living in temporary shelters. There in the desert, these people, they witnessed some extraordinary things. Amongst those extraordinary things was the occasion when they were not just parched with thirst, but fearing for their lives in the absence of water, when their leader, Moses, struck a rock In the name of their God, Yahweh, and water sprang forth from the rock. And this story of water springing forth from a rock became a key story that told them that there was hope in the most difficult of circumstances, that there were extraordinary occurrences that came in life in response to prayer. And water sprang forth to save their bodies and through that to save their souls. The story of the Hebrews in the desert was a time of shelters and of streams. This group of people, the Hebrews, uh, they no longer were just the ethnic Hebrews, but as they entered into their promised land, they were joined by Egyptians who came with them, by others who were attracted by their spiritual power and by their social justice. And this group of people became the kingdom of Israel. Their own storybooks, the stories written by the people of Israel, their own storybooks, which make up much of the Old Testament, show that that kingdom didn't thrive. They were frequently overrun by neighboring tribes. There was all kind of immorality. The social justice that had been commanded for them was sparsely put into practice. The Bronze Age ended, and so came the Iron Age. And it was then to this then struggling nation that a man called Isaiah spoke. 
And it's to his words that we'll turn in a moment. If you have a Bible with you, you might like to find the book of Isaiah and chapter 32. Isaiah spoke words of power. There was so much power in his words that the people who heard them sensed in them not mere human artistry, but something supernatural, a divine inspiration. That is words breathed by God himself. And these are the two verses that we will focus on. To this struggling nation with a history through the desert as it came into existence, Isaiah himself had a vision and he spoke these words, see a king will reign in righteousness and rulers, those are the these are the, some translations say princes. The word here means the, the administrators, the, the, the underlings of the king, the people that the king instructs to impart his administration in the nation. Those people will rule with justice. And then each person, not just the king, not just the civil servants or the princes, but each person will be like a shelter from the wind and a refuge from the storm, like streams of water in the desert and the shadow of a great rock in a thirsty land. This is one of many passages in the Old Testament that speak about the king who reigns in righteousness, that is God himself, speaks of the kingdom of God. If you were to read on in this passage, it would, you would see that it commands care for the hungry and the poor and the needy. But it says of each person, each one will be like a shelter from the wind and a refuge from the storm. Each one like streams of water in the desert and the shadow of a great rock in a thirsty land. And my prayer this morning is that God would open our eyes to see what the extraordinary scope of these words because they don't say, and this itself would be a wonderful thing to say and a wonderful promise, but they don't say everyone will get sheltered. And they don't say everyone will be watered. They go beyond that. The desert Hebrews had had shelters and they'd had water, but this goes further. It goes so much further. Um, I couldn't resist this. A um, little bit of animal cuteness to lighten the morning. Uh, God promises, I couldn't stay with it though, so we've gone to a blizzard to follow, <laughs> that each one will be like a shelter from the wind, a refuge from the storm, a shelter from the storm. Friends, is this not a picture of the Christian life that we're invited to, to provide shelter for others who are in need? I can't help but mention Stuart in this context today. I don't know how many of you picked up. Uh, Stuart has... Oh, there we go. Stuart has pioneered the housing project that we operate as a church and this week uh, gained a certificate of honor. Is that right? Is that the right phrase? A certificate of honor from the city council for having pioneered 
uh, the actual physical provision of shelter for people who have been homeless or, or vulnerably housed, isn't that a picture of the Christian life? Doesn't that feel like a very Christian thing to do? To provide housing for those in need, to be a shelter from the storm of life. Uh, I'm sure many of you know that the great majority of support offered to refugees in this country is offered by churches or other kinds of Christian charities who have stepped up to this, these words from Isaiah, to be a shelter from the storm. Doesn't that sound like a Christian way of living? We're not surprised, are we, when we hear that a church is doing something for the homeless or caring for those who in one way or another have faced significant storms in life. Bex, I was reminded too of your testimony from, not from the last few weeks of being inspired by God's word as a pediatric nurse to step into the hospital where there's been a stream of awful diagnoses for children and to pray in the name of Jesus this far and no further and end to this stream of awful diagnoses of a particular kind and then finding that to be the case, being a shelter, providing for others shelter in the storm. In the storms of life, Christians stand firm and bring peace to others. Not only stand firm, but bring peace to others. And just to be clear, there's something more here than simply a humanist social work. There is a dimension to this shelter-bringing that is enabled by the king who rules in righteousness. The king of kings enables this Christian living. Back to Bex for a moment. You didn't wake up one morning and just decide to try harder. It wasn't just an analytical process and an act of human will. Inspiration came from God-breathed words, and Bex prayed. There is a divine enabling that occurs that enables us to bring peace to people in the midst of storms. Um, many of you will know, because I've mentioned it over the last six weeks, that one of the churches in our family of churches, called Gloucester Community Church, you can spot the family resemblance, uh, their pastor died on Easter Saturday in his early 60s uh, after a very short illness. And um, I was unable to be at the funeral because I was in Africa. And I made a little note that I would send his widow some flowers, not around the time of the funeral, because you get a lot of flowers then, but a little bit after, so that she would know that she was remembered uh, going, going forward. Um, I felt a particular nudge to do that one day and um, went on to Interflora's website and, and, and arranged for some flowers to be sent. On the day that the flowers arrived, Bev, my wife, got a message from, this, from, from Julie, from this widow, saying, how did you know? Did you know? How did you know uh, these flowers have come on our wedding anniversary? 
And Phil always used to buy me flowers. And I didn't know how I'd get through today. Did you know? Well, no, we didn't know. I didn't know. I felt a little nudge. I think it was a spiritual nudge. The way in which we can provide peace to those in turmoil is a, is, a, is a divinely enabled thing. There's a whole bunch of excellent human social work and care that goes on, but there's more. And a promise from God that as he reigns in righteousness, he will cause us to be shelters from the wind and refuge from the storm. God is good. So was that a coincidence? Well, I thought about doing a little statistical side bit to this morning. It's a long time since I've taught statistics to undergraduates, and I figured I'd probably be a bit rusty. Um, But one in 365 is not odds I'd put money on. God helps us. You know, some answers to prayer look like coincidences, but as many of you know, coincidences happen way more often after we've prayed. There is a king who has power to make people like shelters in a storm. He also has power to cause us to be streams in the desert. Friends, is this not also a picture of the Christian life? That in dry places, there is life that may come, and it comes spiritually Having been forgiven by God, we have an extraordinary capacity to forgive others and to bring love and grace and reconciliation into places where it has not been known. Having received truth that gave us freedom, we can share that with others. I spoke this week, every now and again, we have a lovely lunch meeting for pastors from across the city of Oxford to catch up with each other. That happened this week. And the few of them that regularly go out on the streets and pray for healing uh, didn't say, you know, sometimes when we pray for healing people, you know, some Saturdays when we're there, people get healed. They named the number that was their average. I can't remember it, though. Uh, But it was somewhere between 12 and 16 people get healed every Saturday and come back and say, look, I I used to hurt, and now I don't. There are streams of life that are at work. Thinking of another one of our church members, who I won't name because I've not spoken to him about it, uh, but who's been having a frustrating time at work, finding it to be a hard and a dry place, a difficult place, a desert in many ways, but who in that context prayed for a colleague to be blessed, and that colleague has just been promoted, and joy has come, and he, living a Christian life, has brought refreshing to others in a desert place. That's how it works. Brothers and sisters, this is our privilege, to get to live like this, to be shelters, to be streams, enjoying making life better for those around us. This is the kingdom of God, a joy to us and a blessing to others. I was very pleased when Adam read out from John 7 earlier. 
Uh, I'd already planned to do so. So now it's ringing in your ears already. And here we go. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. This festival, uh, of which we had a last and greatest day, this festival was the festival of, you'll never guess what, festival of shelters. Sometimes called the Feast of Tabernacles, or in Hebrew, Sukkoth, which means little shelters, booths, actually, is another word that sometimes gets used. This was the last and greatest day of the festival of shelters. And Jesus says there are streams that will flow if you'll believe in me. I think it's worth taking a moment to draw attention to two things uh, here in these verses. The first one is a simple word to underline there. Anyone. Anyone who is thirsty. That is free from condition. You don't have to have achieved some kind of performance. You don't have to come from the right kind of background. You don't have to be cisgendered. You don't have, there's nothing that is, that could, could come as some kind of dividing line to separate out who can and cannot come to Christ. Anyone who is thirsty which must mean you um, and me. It means all of us. Anyone who's thirsty, you can come. You might even have been brought up in a different religion, but you know what? Jesus invites you all the same. Anyone. Second thing is to underline here the role of trust. Uh, Whoever, I read from different translation which said whoever believes in me can equally well be translated. And it's more helpful for us to see this, whoever trusts in me. Because belief, Christian belief isn't just about, you know, knowing the answers in the textbook and agreeing with them. It's about placing your life into someone else's hands. It's not just intellectual belief, but whole life trust. So here's a little picture. I was reminded of this illustration by um, Vaughan Roberts recently, and I thought it would help us again this morning. Vaughan Roberts is the rector at uh, St. Ebb's Church in several locations in the city. And uh, this is the picture. Imagine that this, my left hand, is, is me. This is me. And I am able to have a relationship with God who is like that bright light shining upon me. And if I have that relationship with God, his light shining on me, that relationship gives me power and strength and life. But to the extent that I have any disdain for God, that disdain, like this card, it gets in, it gets in the way. To whatever extent I have turned away from God and disrespected him, disdained him, it, it gets in the way and it interrupts the relationship that I could have. I am cut off from that light 
And in that darkness, I find myself tossed around by the storms of life and simultaneously deeply unsatisfied. You could say parched. This blockage that arises from my disdain for God is what the Bible calls sin. It's a thing that gets in the way. The Bible also says that Jesus offers to bear my sin. So imagine that this other hand represents Jesus. Now, if I will resolve to give up my disdain for God, my sin can be placed upon him. He will come and take that sin from me. This is why Jesus is described in the scriptures as the sin bearer, the one who carries sin. My sin can be placed upon him, and that frees me up to enjoy the relationship with God that I was made for, a relationship in which I receive his spirit and become both a shelter and a stream of living water. And this, this is a real exchange that takes place. It's, it's not just words. It's not just things that push the psychological triggers somehow in us. A real exchange takes place that makes a distinct difference, a direct difference to my experience of life, not only now, but stretching beyond my death into all of eternity. Which means that once that exchange has taken place, you can be sure of remaining in that new relationship with God forever, even beyond death. And this simple message of Christ taking our burdens and freeing us up to a new relationship with God, that is the heart of the Christian faith. To trust Jesus to bear my sin, freeing me up to a whole new relationship with God. Jesus himself said, I have come that you may have life and have it in abundance. That's his intent for us. So in a moment, um, I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. And it may be that you've prayed this lots of times. It may be that it's the first time you, you really feel like praying it ever. Well, that would be great. The prayer goes very simply, sorry, thank you, and please. And the sorry is, these are all words spoken to God. I'm sorry for my sin. That whatever disdain you know you've had for God, we can say sorry for that. We can say thank you to Jesus for the offer that he makes to carry our sin, though it cost him his life. And then, please, God, would you send me your spirit that I could live in relationship with you? So, sorry, thank you, and please. Um, we're going to get to that in a minute. But before that, there's a song that I just felt stirred to sing, and I didn't tell the band about it. Which is okay, because who here's got a voice? I don't know how many of you will know this song, but I'm going to sing. We won't worry about any other instruments. And um, if you could pop it up on the screens, that would be helpful. And <sighs> It's an opportunity for us to express our faith, those of us who share this Christian faith of what Jesus does for us. It goes like this. 
Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness, it was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray sorry and thank you and please. If you uh, want to pray this along with me. Um, I'm just going to pause in between each thing that I say and you might just want to repeat the same words that you've heard from my lips or you might have better ones of your own. But there's a chance here to pray in this way. Father God, I am sorry. There is much that I regret. Things that I have done wrong and things that I just avoided doing when they were right to do. I want to stop doing things for which I need to be sorry. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the promise of this divine exchange. don't even understand how it all works, but I want it. And I choose to invite you to do that thing. Thank you that you've made a way for a new relationship with God. And now please... Holy Spirit, come to me. I might know those streams of living water. Refresh the deepest parts of me and enliven me 
and enable me to live rightly. You might find it helpful just to um, maybe put your hands out, palms upwards as a sign just of openness to receiving. You know, we're we're minds and heart and bodies and to bring our bodies into our praying can help. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here. I'm, I'm shifting on to another prayer now. I pray for my brothers and sisters here. I pray for a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit as Jesus promised that those who trust in him would receive the Spirit and that would be like streams of living water. And that's not dependent on being in the rainforest. It works in the desert. I pray especially for those who who know themselves right now to be in a desert, in a dry place, and pray for them a fresh receiving of the Holy Spirit that would turn deserts into oases, making arid places fertile, changing the climate, bringing new life. And pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.